Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 26, The Streltsy Revolt. Last week, we delved into the lives of Alexis I and Fyodor III and introduced Alexei's children, Sofia, Ivan, and Peter. Internal squabbles abound and Russia continued with their wars with Poland and Sweden for disputed territory. Fyodor III, eldest son of Alexei I, had died, with no defined heir leaving the Romanov dynasty in a pickle. Who was to be elevated to the throne? Two families were battling for position within the Romanovs, the Narishkins, the family of Alexei's second wife Natalia, and the Miloslavskis, with their numerous but oft sickly children of Tsar Alexis's first wife, Maria. The Narishkins were safe and well taken care of when Alexis and his son Fyodor were in power, but the winds of change made their position tenuous when Fyodor died in 1682. Let's go back a bit and talk about how Alexei met Peter's mother Natalia. Now, in most of Europe, marriages were arranged to fortify treaties between countries, to end conflicts and strengthen alliances, but Russia? It was different. In Russia, the Tsar chose a fellow Russian, but more importantly, a member of the Russian Orthodox Church. It was under these circumstances that Alexis found himself when in March of 1669, his first wife, Maria Milosevskaya, died. Alexis was greatly saddened by her death and childbirth. For a year he mourned, until a fateful evening when he laid eyes on the beautiful Natalia Narishkina at the house of his friend and close advisor, Artemon Matviev. Although just 19, she was said to be a stunning beauty. She, as many in Russia, had Tatar blood in her. So smitten was Alexis that he quickly told Mateev that he wished to marry her. Now, this was not without danger, as many competing boyar families would object and try to subterfuge the union as had been done to more than a few potential brides in the past. This engagement and subsequent marriage had to be carefully orchestrated to succeed. An inspection of potential brides was conducted, with Natalia being presented as was custom. She was chosen as planned, but the wedding was delayed as court machinations were accusing Madveyev of forcing Alexei's hand. The protestations failed, as on February 1st, 1671, Alexis I and Natalia were married. Quickly getting pregnant, on May 30th, 19, excuse me, 1672, the Tsarina gave birth to a healthy, large boy, whom they named Peter, after the Apostle. Much rejoicing went on throughout Moscow and the rest of Russia, except amongst the Miloslavskis. For the next four years, all was good for Peter and his mother, until February 8, 1676, when Tsar Alexei died. Fyodor became Tsar, but he was exceptionally sickly, as we discussed last week. This made the Miloslavskis the favorite family again. Ivan Miloslavsky immediately came back from his banishment to Astrahan, and he ousted Matveyev as chief minister, sending him off to Siberia. On the way to his new post, Ivan had Matveyev arrested and sent way north to a remote town above the Arctic Circle. Now Peter and his mother were alone, without protection, but Fyodor truly cared about his half-brother and made sure he was treated well. When Peter turned five, 
Fyodor told Natalia that it is time our godson started his lessons. They selected one Nikita Zotov as his main tutor, but anyone who would teach the young boy would be amazed by his eagerness to learn and the energy he had, which was to carry forward for the rest of his life. Peter was more open to new ideas and just incredibly curious, rather than being scholarly. He was a bold young man who, as Robert Massey says in his gigantic epic book, aptly named Peter the Great, the mold which created Peter the Great was not made by any parent, tutor, or counselor. It was cast by Peter himself. For the next five years of education, it went well for Peter as he and his mother were under the protection of his brother Fyodor. But everyone knew that a battle of succession was all but inevitable because of Fyodor's lack of a son and his constant illness. Then, when Peter was ten, Fyodor died, and he set into motion events that were to scar Peter for life. Immediately after the Tsar's death, the boyars got together to decide who shall be the next Tsar, Peter or his older brother Ivan, a feeble-minded embodied 15-year-old. The patriarch Joachim asked the boyars, who shall be Tsar? And the debate began in earnest and was quite heated. The gathered boyars went out to the top of the red staircase in the red square and asked the assembled people the same question. Shouts of Peter and Ivan rang out, but by far the calls grew louder for Peter. Patriarch Joachim pronounced Peter, Tsar, Veliki Gozudar, Grand Sovereign, but he failed to count on the opinion of one Tsarevna Sophia, a powerful and very bright woman who would not allow the Narishkins to become the power brokers over her family. Women were second-class citizens in Russian society, rarely given much of an education, and the higher the rank, the more sequestered and hidden from society. The daughters of a Tsar were almost never seen in public or by any man save the patriarch and their father. When traveling, they would be unseen by the populace. For Sophia to be a power broker in this Russia was a testament to her intellect, abilities, and tenacity. None of her other five surviving sisters stood out. There was no reason for her to have been able to be anything but a baby producer, except she had somehow persuaded her father, Tsar Alexei, to have the same education as her brother Fyodor. Their tutor was one Simon Polotsky, who stated that Sofia was a maiden of great intelligence and the most delicate understanding with an accomplished masculine mind. When Alexei died, she was 19, and amazingly, she was allowed to attend sessions of the Boyar Council, as well as conversing with men like her uncle, Ivan Miloslavsky, and minister, Vasily Golitsyn. Many have painted her as a vain, power-hungry, and cruel woman. But I believe it's because of her being kind of a trendsetter, breaking down barriers, and her stand against her more illustrious half-brother, Peter, that she is painted in an ill light. Remember, she is not looked, for, looked at in history as being very positive because the writers of the history were employed by Peter himself. So when Peter was named sole Tsar, she knew that she needed to act or risk being returned to a cloister 
like existence which must have sent shivers down her spine. At first, she argued her case with Patriarch Joachim, saying, Ivan should be the sole ruler, as he was older, and Peter was just a mere child. When that line of reasoning failed, she made the suggestion that maybe a joint rule was acceptable. This, too, was rejected. Now, in her mind, she had to regroup and think of a different plan. At Fyodor's funeral, the proper thing for his sisters to do was to walk behind a moving screen during the procession, lest anyone see them. But not Sophia, being the shrewd dramatist. She openly wailed, mourning the loss of her beloved brother. Natalia then made a fateful error when she took Peter's hand and led him wait away from the funeral procession, claiming he was tired. Sophia jumped at the opportunity and railed, you see how our brother Tsar Fyodor has suddenly gone from the world? His enemies have poisoned him. Our elder brother Ivan has not been elected Tsar, and if we are to blame, let us go live in another land which are ruled over by Christian kings. She beautifully set up a rumor to be spread that Fyodor did not die naturally, but that he had been murdered. Guess who she pointed her finger at? The Narishkins. It was a brilliant plan, but Sophia needed muscle to overcome the influence of the patriarch and the boyar majority, and she found it in the brutish force known as the Streltsy. Numbering 22,000, divided into regiments of 1,000 men each, these poorly educated Russians were suspicious men, likely to be old believers, and they certainly disliked change. They were formed around 1545 by Ivan the Terrible, first seeing action in 1552 at the Siege of Kazan. They acted as policemen when necessary, or firemen, and were armed with arquebuses, a type of rifle, muskets, poleaxes, sabers, and pikes. The men, often not paid during tough economic times, became merchants, with some becoming moderately well off. Because of their lack of education, though, they were easily manipulated, and this is exactly what Sophia did. The Streltsy, on their part, were kind of nervous about army reforms that might strip them of some of their privileges, such as freedom from paying taxes on all their income. The Narishkins were known reformers, so were already on the Streltsy's radar. So when the rumor mill swirled with news, no doubt coming from Sophia and her family, that Fyodor has been poisoned, the Streltsy saw blood, and the blood they wanted were the Narishkins. Ivan Miloslavsky was also in on things, as he had once been exiled when the Narishkins were in power. So the stage was set for confrontation. The Streltsy were in their quarters, having proverbial gasoline poured on them through the rumor mill. All that was needed to light them was a spark. Artemon Matviev returned to Moscow on May 11, 1682, and was greeted warmly by many of his boyar friends, Natalia, and even some members of the Streltsy, as he was a former highly respected commander of one of their units. Natalia and Matviev were blissfully unaware of the Streltsy threat. Dutch Ambassador Baron von Keller was not so blind when he said, the discontent of the Streltsy continues. All public affairs are at a standstill. Great calamities are feared, and not without cause. For the might of the Streltsy is great, and no resistance can be opposed to them. In a well-orchestrated incident, Alexandra 
Miloslavsky, and Peter Tolstoy ignited the fuel poured on the Streltsy, riding into the Streltsy quarters, proclaiming, The Narishkins have murdered the Tsarevich Ivan! To the Kremlin! The Narishkins will kill the whole royal family! To arms! Punish the traitors! Now there was no holding back the Streltsy as they made their way to the Kremlin with murder on their mind. When Princes Golitsyn and Shermatev confronted the riotous men and asked what they wanted, they demanded to know where Tsarevich Ivan was and they wanted the Norishkins. Natalia rightfully feared for her life, but she knew she had to confront the mob with both the boys, Ivan and Peter, at her side. She headed onto the porch on the red staircase holding the young boy's hands, which caused the Streltsy to back off, but only slightly. Madveyev came out to address the men, telling them it was all a misunderstanding and that they should just go home. Then Patriarch Joachim admonished the men about their behavior in a very calm manner. Both men, both men went back into the Kremlin, thinking all was okay. It was not. Prince Michael Dolgeruki, a Streltsy commander, in a move that still baffles historians to this day, came out and railed against his men, cursing and yelling at them. The men began to become furious and lost all control. They rushed the staircase, bounded up to the porch, grabbed Prince Dolgeroki and threw him over the edge onto the waiting pikes held by their comrades below, and then butchered the man by hacking him to pieces. The feeding frenzy began. Next up was the old Arnaman Matveyev, who was with Peter and Natalia and Ivan. Before their eyes, Matveyev was ripped from their hands, thrown over the railings like Dolgeroki, and slaughtered, much to the horror of Peter and his mother. Time and time again, boyars were being dragged, screaming out to the courtyard, and brutally tortured and murdered. Ivan, Peter, and Natalia huddled together, watching the slaughter. Natalia's brother, Afanasi, was cut to pieces. What started at 9 a.m. that morning of May 15, 1682, continued until nightfall when the Streltsy began to tire. Two more days of searching unsuccessfully for their next target, who was Ivan Narishkin, began to frustrate the Streltsy. They now threatened that if he wasn't presented to them for final justice, they would kill everyone. Natalia, presented with this threat, reluctantly had her brother go out to meet his fate. After taking final communion, the brave man went out and was tortured for hours, grunting, refusing to admit guilt or to implicate anyone else. He was then summarily executed in a particularly gruesome fashion. The feeding frenzy was over, but the threat still lay thick in the air. With the threat of renewed violence, the government granted total amnesty to all men involved. Peter was in a state of shock and anger. One day in his mind, he vowed the murder of his friends and relatives would be avenged. He would also always remember the Kremlin as a place of evil and murder. Sophia, who had stayed away from the carnage, made her way to the Streltsy, still in the Kremlin, and praised the patriotism of the men, going so far as to hand them cups of vodka in celebration. They also melted down the gold and silver of many of the murdered boyars, and gave it equally to all the people of the Streltsy. Sophia now knew she was in control. 
The Streltsy made some more demands, one that both Ivan and Peter be made co-tsars, with Ivan being the senior of the pair. Tsarevna Sofia replaced Natalia as regent. Her coup d'etat was complete. No one dared oppose her now. Next week, we focus on the regency of Sofia and the maturing of Peter, who would steep in his hatred of the old Russian ways, stealing him to one day throw out what he saw as the total ignorance and archaic ways of his country. He would begin his hatred of Moscow, which would eventually lead to the construction of a new center of Russia, St. Petersburg. Now, for this day in Russian history, from October 31st to November 6th. In 1578, Dmitry Pozarsky, famous for rallying the people in the army at the end of the Time of Troubles, a Russian prince, is born. In 1796, Catherine the Great of Russia dies. 1828, Maria Fyodorovna of Russia, second wife of Tsar Paul I of Russia, dies. In 1893, the great Russian composer Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky passed away. In 1894, Nicholas II becomes the new Tsar of Russia after his father, Alexander III, dies. In 1905, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia signs a document of amnesty for all political prisoners. In 1940, Russia declared war on the Ottoman Empire. In 1941, Soviet leader Joseph Stalin addresses the Soviet Union for only the second time during his three-decade rule. He states that even though 350,000 troops were killed in German attacks so far, the Germans had lost 4.5 million soldiers and that the Soviet victory was near. This was propaganda of the highest level. In 1956, Soviet troops entered Hungary to enter the, end the Hungarian Revolution against the Soviet Union that started on October 23rd. Thousands were killed, more were wounded, nearly a quarter million people left the country. In 1957, the Sputnik program of the Soviet Union launched Sputnik 2 on board as the first animal to enter orbit, a dog named Laika. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit the iTunes App Store and download the Russian Rulers app. And please visit the website at russianrulers.podhoster.com. Become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Ask a question, make a suggestion, like one of my listeners did, telling me to, could you please turn up the sound on the uh, beginning clip, because I can barely hear it. Thank you very much. Please leave a comment, and as always... Das Vidanya is Spasiba Bolshoya.